So we've uh, we've been in this message series uh, called Family Matters, talking about how the church is sort of like a family, a family that's always expecting guests. Um, but as you probably know from your own personal experience, uh, families, you know, they're, they're not always like the Norman Rockwell pictures that are portrayed. You know, sometimes families are... Um, they're dysfunctional, right? Uh, sometimes that can be true of of the church too. Not only just a local church, but also just the church as a whole. That there's there's hurt. There there's history. You know, community sometimes is just a really hard thing. Sometimes we hurt each other. Even those of us who who come together to uh, worship the God whose name is love. How ironic is that? That we still manage to hurt and wound each other. But after all, what's family without a good fight every now and again, right? So today we're going to talk about uh, two brothers, uh, one of whom tried to kill the other brother because, well, the other brother was sort of a jerk. Um, It's a story that takes place in the Bible uh, that covers about 20 years. And I'm going to give you a summary of like the first 19 years. Then we'll look at the last year together. Um, But in the very first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we see uh, an old man and his wife who don't have any children. Um, And then God comes along and says, you know what? I'm going to give you some kids. Uh, You're not going to believe it. I'm going to give you kids and uh, you're going to become the father of actually many nations. And so uh, it's a story of Abraham and Sarah, and they have two boys. They have uh, Isaac and Ishmael. The biblical story follows uh, the story of Isaac. So Isaac grows up, uh, becomes married to Rebecca, and same thing, they cannot get pregnant either. So they pray uh, to God for children and they become pregnant. And while Rebecca's getting, uh, you know, her sonogram done and they've put all that cold jelly stuff all over her stomach, uh, the sonogram tech turns to her and says, Surprise, you're having twins, twin boys. And look, they're already fighting. Seriously, that's that's what happens. They're fighting uh, within her womb. This is this is what it says in Genesis uh, 26. It says the babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? I, I love like spoken like a true mom, right? Why is this happening to me? That's the title for Mother's Day uh, this year. Why is this happening to me? Uh, but this isn't like just normal roughhousing. I mean, this is like something's going on. So she, Rebecca, went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, look, Two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated and one will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. Now, this this was a huge deal because even though they are twins born only moments apart in this culture, the firstborn, whoever was born first, uh, it was it was a really big deal. They got an extra large share of the family inheritance. They became the next patriarch of the family, the next leader of the family. So being born first was a big deal. But here, God says the older is actually going to end up serving the younger. So it comes time for Rebecca to give birth. And the first uh, child that comes out um, is red and 
he's got hair all over him and not like that like little fine uh, lanugo type stuff but like hair hair and so uh they name him esau which means hairy sweet baby harry isn't that just so delightful what a cute name uh, but then comes the second baby uh, holding on to harry esau's ankle Second baby comes out, and this baby's name is Jacob, which means heel grabber. And it's sort of a derogatory name as well, just like Esau, Harry. Uh, heel grabber also means sort of like cheater or, or, or usurper. So he's got this like me first mentality, even from the moment that he's born. He, he wants to be first, even though he can't be. And look, I know all children have this like me first mentality. You don't have to teach a child how to say mine. You have to teach a child how to say please and thank you. But Jacob is like on a whole nother level. I mean, he's extremely competitive. He's extremely conceited. It's a character trait that's going to follow him throughout the rest of his life. So baby Harry and baby cheater grow up. Uh, they're still fighting all the time and, and they could not be more different. So Esau is this like grizzly, hairy hunter, outdoorsman kind of guy. And Jacob, it says of him, he loved to live among the tents, meaning that he was kind of a homebody and also that he was sort of a mama's boy. And so Isaac, the dad, favored Esau, while Rebecca, the mom, favored Jacob. So one day Esau comes home from hunting and, and he's starving and he comes home and he finds Jacob doing what Jacob does. He's cooking. And so Esau demands, hey, give me some of that food. Give me some of that red stuff, he says. And Jacob sees this as an opportunity uh, to live his truth, to be himself fully. And he says, sure, brother, I would love to give you some food. Just give me your birthright in return. Just, just give me that, that thing, that claim that you have to receive a double inheritance. You give me that and, and I'll give you some, some bowls of beans or whatever it is. Now Esau, um, he's not too bright. Um, this is a really, really terrible deal. But, but he says, yeah, what's the point of having a birthright if I starve to death? Sure, you can have my birthright. You can have your double inheritance whenever mom and dad pass away. Fine, I don't, I don't care. Just give me something to eat before I die. So Jacob took the birthright and Esau took the bowl of beans. But that's not all. You see, um, in this culture, the oldest son didn't just have dibs on, on the inheritance, but they also were the ones to receive the father's blessing, which meant they were the one to kind of take the mantle of, of leadership within the family. And, and so the blessing was an even bigger deal than the birthright. So Jacob now has the birthright, but he doesn't have the father's blessing unless he can find a way to cheat his way and get it. So one day while Isaac, the dad is getting old and he's lost his eyesight, he's now essentially under hospice care. He's on his deathbed. And so Rebecca has an idea. Rebecca knows how she can get Jacob the blessing. 
So she takes her little cheater son, covers him in this like goat hair coat, sends him in to blind dad's hospice room and says, pretend to be your older brother. And, and, and if you can, if you can trick dad, then surely he will give you the blessing. And so Jacob goes in there, dressed all hairy like Esau was, tries to disguise his voice. Isaac's, you know, a little bit hesitant, but, but goes along and ends up giving the blessing to Jacob because he's tricked his dad. Esau comes home, knows that dad is on his deathbed goes to say his final goodbyes and receive his final blessing that he deserves as the oldest son, only to find out that Jacob had already been there, that Jacob had done it again and cheated him out of what he deserves. And so Esau's really ticked off and he says, if it's the last thing that I do, I'm going to make sure that Jacob dies. So Jacob runs for his life. He's scared to death. He runs to his uncle Laban's house, uh, which Laban's also kind of a cheat. That's a sermon for a whole nother uh, day. But isn't it just great that the Bible is full of such great family values, right? Aren't we so fortunate to have that? So years later down the road, uh, Jacob uh, decides that, that he's got nowhere else to go. So he's got to return back home. He has no other choice. And going back home means that he has to go back and face his brother Esau. Now, where we're going to pick up in the story, Jacob is um, just kind of on the other side of this field. He's, he's ready to return back home and he sees his brother Esau there with 400 men. So Jacob, uh, not only is he a cheat, but he's also kind of a coward. And so what he does, he devises a plan to sort of try to pacify uh, his brother, kind of let him cool down a little bit. So Jacob has accumulated all of these sheep and cattle and all sorts of stuff over the years. And so he says, okay, I'm going to give all these away to my brother as, as sort of like a peace offering. Maybe this will, this will show him to, to please be kind to me. And so Jacob sends, you know, drove after drove after drove of sheep and cattle and all that, all with uh, a servant to go along. And the servant says, these are a gift from your brother, Jacob. He's your servant. Now all this to try to pacify his brother Esau. So uh, this is where we're going to pick up. This is uh, Genesis chapter 32. <clears throat> so Jacob, um, He's kind of all alone. He sent off all of his, all of his animals, all of his servants, um, some of his, uh, his wives. Yes, he has multiple wives. Another sermon for another day. We'll get to that. Uh, but this is uh, Genesis 32. It says, Jacob got up during the night, took his two wives, uh, his two women servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed Jabbok's River uh, shallow water. He took them and everything that belonged to him and helped them cross the river. So they're, they're going across to the other side. But Jacob stayed apart by himself and a man wrestled with him. 
until dawn broke. Like, where does, where did that come from? So a man shows up and wrestled with him until dawn broke. When the man saw that he couldn't defeat Jacob, he grabbed Jacob's thigh and tore a muscle in Jacob's thigh as he wrestled with him. The man said, let me go because the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I won't let you go until you bless me. The man said to Jacob, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, your name won't be Jacob any longer, but Israel, because you struggled with God. Interesting. And with men and one Jacob also asked and said, tell me your name. But he said, why do you ask for my name? Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel because I've seen God face to face and my life has been saved. The sun rose as Jacob passed Penuel limping because of his thigh. Therefore, Israelites don't eat the tendon attached to the thigh muscle to this day because he grabbed Jacob's thigh muscle at the tendon, just in case you were wondering about that. But what a strange story. Jacob's ready to finally meet his brother the night before he meets him after all of these years. And all of a sudden God shows up and puts him in a half Nelson. Like why, why, why does this happen? Jacob's Jacob's first thought is that, Oh no, this must be Esau, right? Esau has come to attack me, but actually come to find out it's actually God who shows up and wrestles Jacob in the middle of the night. Now this is, this is sort of troubling for me. Why would God do this? Why, why, why does God pick a fight? But maybe also you've sort of felt that way before you've sort of felt like God's showing up when you're all alone in the middle of the night. And God is trying to like pick a fight with you. It's troubling. So they end up wrestling. God ends up tearing a tendon, breaking Jacob's hip, foul, unnecessary, unnecessary roughness, you know, unsportsmanlike conduct. But, but why, why does God break Jacob's hip? You see, we have a God who not only blesses, but also who breaks. That's right here in this story. God, God blesses and God breaks. Now I prefer the God who blesses exclusively, but you can't have one without the other. And so the story ends. God, man just runs off somewhere. And Jacob is there in the middle of the night with a torn thigh. And then it goes on next chapter, Genesis 33 says, Jacob looked up and saw Esau approaching with 400 men. Jacob divided uh, the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two women servants. He put the servants and their children first, Leah and her children after them, Rachel and Joseph, that's one of his kids, last. So he kind of puts them in order of who he likes most, right? Um, least favorites go first, just in case something happens. Um, he himself went in front of them and bowed to the ground seven times as he was approaching his brother. 
But Esau ran to meet him, threw his arms around his neck, kissed him, and they wept. That's a beautiful scene. But what changed? What, what, what changed that, that Esau swore if it was the last thing that he was going to do, he was going to kill his brother Jacob to now he hugs him, wrestles him to the ground in love and kisses him. What happened? I, I like to think, I like to think that it's because Esau saw Jacob limping that for the first time Esau saw his cheating, deceiving brother wounded, hurt, weak. That here comes Jacob limping, bowing down before his brother. You know, maybe, maybe the reason that you haven't forgiven that person in your life is because you are choosing to ignore their limp. You're, you're, you're choosing to, to ignore that, that hurt that they have. You see healing, healing happens when, when we can see the hurt in someone else. Because we all carry like shrapnel from past wounds within us. We all carry this stuff. All of these past hurts. We're, we're all wounded. We're, we're all broken. But sometimes, especially when, when there's conflict, we, we refuse to see that hurt in someone else. And it's so easy to throw stones at someone that you think is invincible. But you don't trip someone who's already limping. You see, I, I think that this strange story that shows up right in the middle, in the middle of the night, God wrestling Jacob, I, 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 think, I think the blessing is his brokenness. <laughs> the, the Jacob's blessing when he asks for the blessing, I think the blessing is his broken hip and it ends up saving his life. You see, in the New Testament, this, this is really clear. Time and time again throughout the New Testament it says, forgive one another because Christ has forgiven you. You've, you've got to forgive. You're, you're, you've been forgiven. And so why do you hold a higher standard than God does? Forgive one another. You see, there's, there's no future. There's, there's no way forward without forgiveness. And so it's interesting here that the only child that's mentioned by name of Jacob's is, is Joseph. Jacob had many sons, 12 actually, but Joseph is the only one that's named here. Jacob sends all of his children ahead. Doesn't name any of them, but the only one that's named here is, is Joseph. And, and it's interesting because uh, later on, Joseph is going to be betrayed by his brothers. They're jealous of him. So they beat him up, throw him in a pit, intending to leave him for dead. And instead they say, ah, let's be a little bit kinder than that. And let's actually sell him into slavery. And so they do. They sell uh, their brother Joseph into slavery. Years go by Joseph. It's a crazy story. Joseph ends up becoming sort of like the prime minister of Egypt, the, the second most powerful person in all of the world. 
There's a famine throughout the land. Nobody has any food except for Joseph, who now controls the distribution of food for everyone. And so here comes his brothers knocking on his door years later, hungry, asking for food. And Joseph has a choice. He can kill them because he's the most powerful man in the world. He could make them just totally disappear or he can forgive them. And so Joseph turns to his brothers and says, you know, what you did to me, you intended for evil, but somehow God didn't waste it. God used it for good. Joseph forgave his brothers. And I think it's, it's interesting that maybe he learned that from his uncle Esau all those years ago when, when Joseph was just a boy and he saw his uncle Esau forgive his father. See what, what we do models for the next generation, for those who are coming after us. Our children are watching us. And, and not only that, but church, the world is watching us. And there is no future without forgiveness. But the question that we always have is, okay, when, when is enough enough? <laughs> When, when do I finally get to stop pursuing reconciliation with this relationship? And the answer for us as Christians, it's, it's an easy one. You can stop whenever God stops pursuing reconciliation with you. You can stop forgiving just as soon as God stops forgiving you, because that's the standard that we're called to. That God is relentless in his pursuit of us. God is relentless in his pursuit of, of reconciling us. That even when we slam the door on God, God still does not close his side of the equation. I mean, this is what Jesus has called us to do. He says, if you ever have a conflict with, with one another and, and you're on your way into worship, Stop, turn around and, and go see that person and ask for their forgiveness. Be reconciled to them. That's not easy. And, and, and you know, we think we get forgiveness wrong sometimes. You see, for, forgiveness is not, is not excusing behavior. Forgiveness is, is making sure preventing that behavior from destroying our hearts and our souls. Forgiveness isn't, isn't excusing some, someone's behavior. Forgiveness is preventing that behavior from destroying our hearts and our souls. So when Jesus says here, before you enter into worship, you got to forgive anyone who, who you have a conflict with, because that's how we worship God, the God of forgiveness. That's how we worship God. And it's hard, but we see this. The God's forgiveness to us is totally free to us. God's grace is totally free to us when we don't deserve it. And yet it's also costly. It cost God, his son, Jesus. And so it's hard, but it's the way 
It's the way that we live out our lives as Christians. And the thing that reconciles us not only to God, but also to one another is that thing that wounded God, hurt God, blessed us, the cross. Let me pray for us. So God, we thank you for your cross. We thank you for your forgiveness to us. But Lord, we also confess that we might be stingy sometimes with our own forgiveness or that we hold on to past wounds and hurts. Yet Lord, you call us to do the unbelievable and to show the same grace towards others as you showed to us. So Lord, if we have someone on our heart, on our mind today, that, that we know we need to offer that word of grace or forgiveness, Lord, give us the courage to do that. Lord, give us uh, the boldness to, to run after, throw our arms around them in love and say, I forgive you. Lord, as hard as that is, help us to do that. And, and even if we're not there yet, Lord, uh, at least open up our eyes to maybe see where they're limping, where they're hurting that we might begin to have a little bit of compassion and understanding. God, help us to love and help us to show love. Pray this in Jesus name. Amen.